Jay Sigurd here, Starting Point Podcast. We're talking science, faith, and a whole lot more. Buckle up, because it's go time. Jay Sigurd here. Thanks for joining me one more time on today's broadcast. We are headed into part five of our series on the topic of creation versus evolution. Uh, covered again a lot of ground prior to this, so if you missed those, you really need to go back and hear those. But before we get further, please make sure you subscribe to these podcasts so you can be alerted when the new ones come out each week. And again, as usual, it helps us greatly if you can leave a five-star review. We've been getting to more and more people. It's been going uh, just great, and it's all due to you getting the word out. So thank you for that. What can you expect today? Well, we're going to begin to discuss the second of two major components that are said to be the main driving factors behind Darwinian evolution. So stay tuned for that. Another reminder, we have a lot of free resources on our website, thestartingpointproject.com. Thestartingpointproject.com. I think we currently have about 34 streaming videos. Most of them are about 30 minutes in length. Some of the topics have multiple parts to them. Uh, the visuals help quite a bit. I, I love doing these podcasts, but it's a lot easier when I have PowerPoint to show you the things that we're discussing. So make sure you avail yourself of those free resources. There's other things up there too. Uh, some other miscellaneous videos and a bunch of articles that I've written. Uh, those things are all free. Oh, I've written three books as well. Those are on the website too. So by way of very brief review, I'm probably going to do this review each of these podcasts on creation evolution because some people have not heard the previous podcast. And also this is a good reminder. You really want to keep this as a framework as we're talking about new information, whatever topics I'm bringing up. I want this to be a backdrop that you keep this in mind because it'll help you sort through what we're talking about and it'll make what we're talking about so much more important, keeping these review items in mind. Uh, one of which is, again, defining this whole idea of evolution. When I am talking about evolution, I am not just talking about changes in creatures or plants, changes in nature. We are talking about what we call molecules to man evolution, meaning that non-living uh, chemicals and things came together to form a living cell. That cell could reproduce itself, and it slowly over time, over a few billion years, changed into things that were more and more complex, more and more diversified. So that single cell turned into every other life form on this planet, including you and I. That's what I'm focusing on with this creation versus evolution series. I'm not just talking about different species of animals and things. We, we see that all the time. We see the variety. I've covered that in past podcasts. So we're not just talking about change. We're talking about changes that are going uphill in a sense, becoming more and more complex over time, increasing in information. And for the past hundred years or so, when the secular scientists have been promoting evolution, they promote it as being natural selection, working on random mutations. This is called neo-Darwinian synthesis or modern synthesis. This is basically taking the general concepts that Darwin talked about in The Origin of Species that he wrote in 1859 and adding them to what we know about 
modern biology and genetics and all that. Because again, Darwin didn't know everything we know about genetics and what's going inside the cell. So you put the two together, you have neo-Darwinian synthesis. In the last episode, we took a look at natural selection because we're taking a look at two major things here. And again, evolution proceeds by natural selection, working on random mutations. So we did discuss natural selection last time. You can also call that survival of the fittest. And when I mentioned that that's a fact of nature, natural selection is an absolute fact. We see it all around us, uh, but it doesn't create new things for you. It's just a good explanation of why certain things don't last. Again, go back and listen to that episode if you want more details. We will be moving forward now and talking about the second element that was mentioned, random mutations. I'm going to focus primarily on mutations and not so much random mutations, although um, what we're discussing certainly involves random mutations, but there's another interesting twist to that that we'll get to. So just think about the concept of mutations in general. There's so much to this topic, and it gives me two challenges in particular. First of all, I don't want to overwhelm anyone with a level of detail that's not necessary to accomplish what we're trying to do here. It's really a, a balancing act. Um, some people say, well, that's just too much information, too technical, it's over my head, I, I don't get it. And other people, no matter what you say, it's not enough, or they wanted more, they want more. I, I get that. Most people, however, are somewhere in the middle. So I'm trying to find uh, a happy medium here where I'm going to give you enough detail to back up the claims that I'm making, but not so much that I lose you or it's over your head or it becomes boring. And sometimes, sometimes it could just get boring and I don't want to do that. So the balancing act with the level of technical information. And then the other one for me is I don't know where each podcast is going to end. There's so much. I don't have time to lay the whole thing out and then go back and chop it up and say this is going to be podcast one, two, and three, and four, and five, and six, whatever. I don't know how many podcasts there will be. I'm just going to keep going until I think we've covered it well enough, and then we will move on. So today's episode, I'll just keep talking about really interesting things, and we can get close to the close, which would be you know, somewhere around 30, 32 minutes or whatever, I'll wind down and we'll pick up where we left off the next podcast. So let's start out this podcast by doing a quick overview of DNA itself. Again, some of this is second nature to a lot of you, very, very basic, uh, but it'll be helpful to, to set a foundation here. So DNA, most people know that stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. That's probably your first word as a baby, right? Deoxyribonucleic acid. I don't. That might have been mine. I don't know. Maybe mine was burlap. I don't really remember. It's pretty young. But anyway, it's a mouthful, but everyone is familiar with it now. We've been talking about DNA for years. It's the hereditary molecule shaped like that twisted ladder. The sides of the ladder, this is what not everyone knows, the sides of the ladder are made up of sugars and phosphates. And who doesn't love sugar? I, lo I love sugar. <laughs> Talk to my wife. I, I love it too much. I don't know if I mentioned this in the past, but I used to show Amy the back of a package of M&Ms. And I'd say, look, it says nutritional facts. If it didn't have any nutrition, they couldn't have nutritional facts. This proves M&Ms are really good for you. So 
She didn't buy that, but I still eat M&Ms. So anyway, the DNA, the twisted ladder, the sides of the ladders are made of sugars and phosphates, and the rungs on that ladder are essentially the letters that make up the stored information that's in the DNA. It consists of four different bases called adenine, cytosine, guanine, and thymine. These are four bases that make up those rungs on the ladder. When you connect them to the sides of the ladder, they, they're called nucleotides. And the sequence of these nucleotides or rungs is primarily what can, constitutes the stored coded information found in the DNA. So you got the twisted ladder, the sides are the sugars and phosphates, and then the rungs are what we call nucleotides. And the order of the rungs gives you the information. Basic information, but some of you didn't know that. It's just interesting to start out there. Let's talk about the length of DNA. A typical human has up to about 100 trillion cells in their body. And each is actually more complex than the space shuttle. That's probably another talk sometime. It is unbelievably complex. So there certainly isn't anything such as the simple cell. Uh, they use that term for many years, and many people still refer to it. Oh, it's the simple cell. No, it might be simpler than other cells or other creatures, but each cell is very, very, very complex. So a typical human has up to 100 trillion, with a T, 100 trillion cells in their body, each containing strands of DNA in the nucleus, the center of the cell, the there are some strands of DNA, little loops actually, in the mitochondria of the cell. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, and there are little loops of DNA in there. Uh, only females actually pass that on during reproduction. That's fascinating. We'll get to that in another episode sometime. It is really interesting. So you got about 100 trillion cells in an adult body. If you went into just one microscopic cell, maybe the tip of your finger took one cell, reached into the nucleus and pulled out the DNA, it would be about six feet long. Very thin. It has to be very thin, obviously, to fit in the nucleus of a microscopic cell. In fact, it would take about 90,000, 90,000 strands of DNA side by side to equal the thickness of just one human hair. <laughs> and you were worried about your hair thinning, um, it's a lot thicker than DNA. DNA takes 90,000 to get to the width of just a human hair. So about six feet long and super, super thin to fit all coiled up in the nucleus of one cell. And guess what? All the information to make your entire body is on that DNA in the nucleus of the one cell that you just took from the tip of your finger. So the DNA in the cell on the tip of your finger could make a heart, a spleen, a nervous system, your brain could do anything. But it, it happens to know, just by chance, of course, it happens to know that it's on the tip of a finger. So when it's going to reproduce, it makes a skin cell on the tip of your finger. It doesn't start to make the spleen, the spine, or anything else. It's called differentiation. Maybe get into that some other time. But it, So all the information's on the DNA, but it only utilizes a portion it needs based on where it is and what it needs to do. Okay, that's the length of DNA in one cell in your body. So one cell, six feet long. What about the total length of DNA in your body? If you were to take the DNA out of every 
cell in your body and string them end to end, you would be dead. So don't do that. (laughs) But let's say you actually did. You take the DNA out of each cell and you string them together end to end. Let's say you wanted to go for a walk from one end of your DNA to the other. How long would that take you? Now, we typically walk about you know, three and a half miles per hour. So you have your DNA laid out in front of you, and you're going to go for this leisurely walk. How long would that take? 30 minutes? Five hours? How about an entire day? No. How about walking three and a half miles an hour for 3,706,339 years? And then you would finally get to the end of your own DNA. All of that's in your body right now as we're speaking. And it's all coiled up just the right way in each cell of the 100 100 trillion cells in your body. Very, very complex system that we're dealing with here. And again, the backdrop is all of this happened by natural processes occurring in nature. So, I mean, everything comes down to particles interacting with each other, you know, protons, electrons, and all these things just kind of whirling around and particles are crashing into each other and all that's just going on over millions or billions of years. And then we get this very complex DNA system that I'm starting to describe. That is what's being taught in every public school system in every state university. They're not talking about God doing a little bit of this and then backing off and doing a little bit of that and then backing off. No, everything just happened. You start out with a big bang, which we've covered that, uh, in which all the stuff that you need for a universe already existed somehow came out of nothing for no reason. And the big bang is a description of how that stuff that came from nowhere for no reason expanded and formed the universe. And early on, it just formed hydrogen, helium, and a little bit of lithium. And then hydrogen and helium interacting with each other eventually creates you and I and this DNA that we're talking about. That's the backdrop. So please keep that in mind as we are moving forward. And you can ask yourself, do the things that we're discussing today, do they seem better explained by just hydrogen and helium interacting over years? Or does it seem like not? (laughs) That, that couldn't be, that, that that didn't happen, that there must have been something else going on, something else using intelligence and purpose put these things together. Again, that's a question you have to answer. I'm not saying you have to believe what I believe, but I've been looking at this a long, long time, and I just can't even begin to fathom how all of this happened by accident. You know, I usually say my faith is not strong enough to believe this all happened by accident. I just... I can't make that work in the mind that I have. This just screams purpose to me. That's my personal conclusion, and it gets confirmed over and over and over and over again. The more that I look at, the more it fits in with my conclusion that, yeah, I I don't think this is an accident, and I keep seeing more and more evidence for it, and that's where we're headed with this series on creation and evolution. So we're talking about your DNA and stretching it out, tying it end to end, and how long it would take you to walk. Your DNA, again, strung end to end, would reach from the earth to the sun. That's 93 million miles away. But it wouldn't reach that distance just once. It would reach that distance 1,222 times. 
that that's unbelievable. Next time you're looking at the sun, realize, yeah, it's 93 million miles away. It's a long ways away. Your DNA would reach all the way there over 1,200 times. And it's, it's just in your body, and it's all in the right place. It needs to be constantly. It's just very, very, very complex system. Uh, many other things I could share about the sun being that far away too, that which is perfect for us. You know, too far away, we freeze. Too close, we burn up. It's just, you know, but that's just an accident, right? And again, to me, it fits in with the idea of design. If God created this universe, he's going to create it in such a way that life can be sustained, and you certainly need energy and heat from the sun, but you don't want too much of it or we're dead. Not enough. We freeze and die. So anyway, that's a, a different topic there. Now, you got your DNA laid out end to end. You you can't walk. That's You just don't have enough time over 3 million years. So we need to go a little faster. How about the speed of a rocket? Over 3,100 miles an hour. In fact, the Apollo astronauts who first landed on the moon that rocket was traveling 3,158 miles per hour. That's fast. I usually jokingly say, I did another calculation, that's almost as fast as my wife drives. And then I laugh, and then I admit that she's probably a better driver than me. So anyway, she doesn't drive that fast. Um, so a rocket, the Apollo astronauts were traveling over 3,100 miles per hour. So now you are going to get in a rocket and you're going to blast off, and you're going to try to get to the end of your own DNA going over 3,100 miles per hour. How long would that take you? Would it take you two seconds, a tenth of a second, a millionth of a second? How about traveling over 3,100 miles per hour and having to travel for 4,180 years at the speed of a rocket, and you'd finally get to the end of your own DNA. Again, I, I hope this is sinking in, that we're looking at something very, very impressive here. But we have to stop goofing around. We can't walk. We can't go the speed of a rocket. We have to fast forward to Star Wars speed. How about the speed of light? Now, a good scientist will tell you, you can't travel at the speed of light for many reasons, but let's humor ourselves. Let's say we could travel at the speed of light, which is unbelievably fast. It's traveling at 186,000 miles per second. Not per hour, per second. 186,000 miles every second. That's how fast light travels. So now you are traveling 186,000 miles every second. How long would it take to get to the end of your own DNA? A millionth of a second, a billionth of a second, a trillionth. How about seven full days? Seven full 24-hour days traveling 186,000 miles every second. You'd finally get to the end of your own DNA. Again, I hope this is sinking in. We're talking about something that is absolutely phenomenal. But we too often gloss over it saying, well, you know, the simple cell, it has this molecule in it we call a DNA and it's got information on it and it helps us develop as a human. And okay, that's an oversimplistic view of DNA. We're going to go deeper and deeper in this. Next thing I want to mention about DNA, again, keeping in mind, supposedly all this developed just by accident over time, you know, no intelligence required here. Let's take a look at the storage capacity of the DNA molecule. How good of a job does it do at storing information? 
I'm going to get to another topic at some point. I don't know where I'll stick it in. I'll put it in my notes somewhere. But it has to do with what information actually is. Because uh, we talk about storage capacity, different things that can store information like newspapers and books and hard drives and all that. Those things do a great, great job of storing information. They really do. But when you think about it, and I'll flush this out more some other podcast, those materials that do a great job of storing information, they do not create that information. You can always trace that information back to an intelligent source, which then use the physical materials to store the intelligent information. So we'll get to that in the future, but let's just take a look at the storage capacity of DNA. Now, we will often back up our computers uh, in case there's a hard drive crash. Probably not often enough. Some of you are thinking right now, yeah, I got to put that on my task list. I keep forgetting. You don't do that. Your computer crashes. You might have lost everything. So we will back up our hard drives in case they crash. Well, let's say you wanted to back up just a teaspoon amount of your own DNA. So picture holding a teaspoon and it's filled with your DNA. How much information could you fit in a teaspoon amount of DNA? Well, whatever that is, we need to back that up. And we're going to back it up on a 64 gig thumb drive. It's kind of impressive what they're doing with storage and medium now. So you got this little thumb drive about the size of your thumb. And it holds 64 gigabytes of information. That's a lot. In fact, you could store almost 10 million pages of text on a 64 gig thumb drive. I did that calculation and I was kind of curious. So a 64 gig thumb drive can hold about a hundred or 10 million pages of text. So with that in mind, you're going to take that teaspoon, picture the teaspoon of DNA. You're going to back that up onto the 64 gig thumb drive. How much of that thumb drive will it fill? Again, you can hold 10 million pages on it. Would it fill half of it, three quarters of it? Would it fill the whole thing? Yeah, it would It would fill the whole thing. You would need more than one. Well, how many would you need? Would you need 10? That would be a lot. <laughs> That'd be 640 gigs of information. That would be 100 million pages of text. So would you need 10 of them to back up the teaspoon of DNA? No, that's not enough. How about a million, 1 million 64 gig thumb drives? That's an unbelievable amount of storage capacity there. Well, that's not going to quite cut it. Listen to this. You would need someone to give you 1 million 64 gig thumb drives every day for 139 years. Then you would have enough storage capacity to back up the amount of information that could fit in a teaspoon amount of your own DNA. DNA's storage capacity is incredible. Yes, humanly speaking, we're coming up with some pretty cool technology but the DNA blows away anything that we have. And if you look at what we do have and it screams design and it impresses you, 
Why would we look at something that is much, much more complex and write that off and say, well, that just happens by accident. No big deal. Just give it enough time. And you're going to hear me hammer home this concept of time over and over throughout my podcast because when I present a challenge to the idea of evolution, a lot of people, they'll, they'll get it. They'll understand that. But in the back of their mind, they have a superhero called time. And they say, I know this presents, what you're sharing presents a huge, seemingly insurmountable challenge to evolution, but you got to keep in mind, we're dealing with millions and millions of years here. Anything, anything is possible if you have enough time. That makes sense to a lot of people. And so they write off everything else they hear, no matter how big of a challenge you can bring up. They'll always say, well... If you have enough time, it'll still, it'll still happen. It's still possible. That's not true at all, and we will get to that. But keep that in mind. Time doesn't solve the problem. It actually, in most instances, makes it worse. So let's start the next section here and briefly define what mutations are and then discuss their importance related to how Darwinian evolution allegedly works. So... This podcast is about mutations. I did a little bit of background information, some cool things about DNA. Now we're going to get back to specifically looking at mutations. I'm going to give you a definition from the National Human Genome Research Institute. They say, quote, A mutation is a change in the DNA sequence of an organism. Mutations can result from errors in DNA replication during cell division, exposure to mutagens, or a viral infection, unquote. So that's their definition of mutation. I think it's pretty good. There's some things I'll add later. That's, that's pretty good to start with. So they said there are three things that are going on that can result in a mutation. First was errors in DNA replication during cell division. When a cell is going to copy itself, it will divide. It makes a copy of the DNA. It has to open it up, makes a copy of it, and then it splits one copy goes into one cell, the other copy stays in the original cell. And during that replication process, copying errors can occur. There's so much information in the DNA, uh, copying errors do occur. I will get to that in more detail later as well. Again, I told you there's so much to cover. It's really, it was really hard to lay this out because you can just rabbit trail off in any different direction. You kind of forgot like, where did you start this whole thing and then bring it back again? So I will talk about uh, the errors during DNA replication in a little more detail at some point because it's really, really significant. But the point is you're making a copy of the DNA. It's pretty easy to make an error here and there. And when they get passed on, that's a mutation. Second thing that can result in mutation, they say exposure to mutagens like radiation or chemical substances that can get in there and wreak havoc on the DNA. Again, you don't want to probably live by power lines or a nuclear uh, plant uh, that could aid in the increase in radiation and in mutations. And if mutations were really that good, we should probably be building our houses around the nuclear plants and the power lines and all that, but no one wants to do that. We'll get into that more later as well. That was the second thing that causes mutations. Third thing, a viral Infection. You get a virus in your body. They typically don't do good things. Um, some viruses are actually good for us, but others are bad, and we want to get rid of the bad ones. So these uh, viral infections can also cause mutations in the DNA. 
Another important point about these mutations, uh, if they're going to aid in evolution, they have to occur in what we call the gamete cells. So these are the germline cells. These are the ones that are used in reproduction. If you have some mutation that goes on in that cell on the tip of your finger that we were talking about before, that's not going to matter to your children and your grandchildren and great-grandchildren because that mutation in that single cell on the tip of your finger, that doesn't get passed on to them. Only the mutations that happen in the sexual reproduction cells, the gametes, are going to matter. If a mistake in copying happens there, that gets passed on to the offspring and they will have that mistake there. So let's look very quickly at examples of mutations. What do they actually look like? And this is pretty simple. I want you to picture looking at a, a page in a book. You're looking at the text on that page. There are three major types of mutations that can occur. Imagine that you want to copy that page. When you copy the page, you might have a deletion that occurs. And let's talk about what we call single point mutation. So a single letter. You're looking at the page, you're copying it, however you're copying it, and one letter gets deleted. That's a deletion mutation. Then you might have a duplication mutation. So there's a particular letter in a word and you duplicate that letter. There's one extra letter there. That's a duplication. Thirdly, you have substitution mutations. That's where you take whatever letter is there or perhaps a number and you just randomly substitute a different letter, a different number. Or you put a number in for a letter, a letter in for a number. Um, you do a substitution. That is a substitution mutation. That seems pretty straightforward when you're thinking about this page of text in the book. You delete something, you duplicate something, or you substitute something, take it out, put something else in there. Those are the types of mutations we see in the DNA. A nucleotide rung on the ladder could get deleted, it could get duplicated, it could be substituted. Um, again, we're not going to go into too much technical detail on that, but the types of mistakes you could experience copying the text in a page of a book, we see those similar things going on in the DNA. There's actually one other type of mutation that occurs, and we're seeing evidence of this more and more and more, and it's fascinating, and we need to do more research on it, and it lends itself to this whole creation-evolution controversy, and that is the fact that mutations aren't necessarily random. I mentioned in the beginning that you know when I gave you an official definition of mutations and how evolution works, it says natural selection acting upon random mutations. Well, guess what? Some mutations or changes apparently are not random. They are pre-programmed, pre-programmed responses to change in response to something that's going on in the environment around this creature. That is a very complex biofeedback system that's going on. These are purposeful changes that are aiding in the creature being able to track with its environment, to survive. That is not a random thing. That is design, and we'll get to that a little bit more later. We are primarily in the rest of this talk podcast for now, until I tell you otherwise, we're looking at the ones that certainly seem more random, random deletion, duplication, or substitution. We're focusing on those, and we're going to see, can those types of changes do 
what we are told they do. They will take a single-celled organism and turn it into you and me by occasionally deleting pieces of our, inf- our information on the DNA, occasionally duplicating something, occasionally making a random substitution. doesn't seem to make sense that you could improve something that way, but that's what they teach. So I'm making a corporate decision here that I'm going to start to wind down this podcast, uh, and we will pick up next time talking about mutations and their role in Darwinian evolution. I'll give you quotes from the secular literature as to what they believe mutations do and how they do produce uh, Darwinian evolution. It will be fascinating. Um, Things are just going to pick up more and more. There's one thing I want to jump ahead to, but I can't, but it's one of the coolest things. It's something you've probably not heard before, and it will absolutely blow you away. When you hear me describe what's going on inside the DNA, it's not overly technical. It's super simple, but it it will blow you away. It'll make your head spin in a good way. So we're headed towards all that stuff. Uh, it won't just be all dry and boring. I've set up the foundation here looking at a little bit of what DNA is made of and kind of hopefully impressing you with its complexity a bit. But we're going to pick up more and more on the whole creation evolution controversy as it relates to what we see in the DNA. So we will pick up there next time. Again, please remember to subscribe to our podcasts, invite others to listen as well and subscribe. And again, if you can leave a five-star review, that helps us greatly. I appreciate you hanging in there with me and some of the stuff that can get a little technical, hopefully not dry. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's going to get more and more fascinating. I look forward to being with you next time. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Starting Point Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help us reach more and more people with these important and inspiring messages. To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and the Starting Point Project, please visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. We'll catch you next time.